1: WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: The point of these verses is to say God has provided protection for you. Put it on, be dressed for battle, and then stand firm. Don't run, because there's no protection for the back. Stand your ground. Don't retreat when the onslaughts come. And the way we do this is to make sure we are covered with the full, complete armor of God.
1: The verses to which Pastor Steve just referred are in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our topic is spiritual warfare. And today we start Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff's second message concerning the most prolonged war in human history. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Let's take a look today at some of Satan's strategies and why trying to stand up to him in our own strength is a disastrous mistake. Here is Pastor Steve with our lesson.
2: During World War II, General George Patton did what no other general from the Allied forces was able to do. He successfully defeated the brilliant German General Rommel in North Africa. Why did Patton find success against Rommel when others had failed and many had failed? One of the keys to General Patton's victory over Rommel was that he understood his opponent. He understood his enemy. You see, Rommel had previously written a book entitled Infantry Attacks in which he explained his military strategies. Probably not the brightest thing to do when you are a general, but that's what he did. Well, Patton had read that book and therefore he was familiar with Rommel's tactics in battle, he knew what to expect from his enemy, and so he prepared accordingly. In fact, Patton is alleged to have shouted in the thick of the battle for North Africa, I read your book, Rommel, I read your book. Now, in the same way that General Patton prepared for war by knowing his enemy's strategies, so the Bible tells us that we as believers in Christ to know our invisible enemy, Satan's strategies, by being familiar with God's book, the Bible. Because in the Bible, God has revealed various methods and tactics that the devil uses over and over and over again in attacking God's people. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul said this, We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, I think some of us are ignorant of his devices, but Paul was not ignorant of Satan's schemes. And the reason that we don't need to be ignorant and the reason Paul was not ignorant is because throughout the pages of Scripture, we're told about the various strategies that the devil employs in dealing with people. For example, we know that his primary target is our mind, is our thinking. If he can get you to think erroneously, he's captured your mind. He initiated this approach when he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden with his lies about God. Remember, he first said, has God said? He tried to put doubt in her mind, and then he outright denied it. He said, you will not die in the day that you eat. God is lying to you. He continues to deceive by erroneous thinking, especially unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us in Whose case the God of this world has, notice this, blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, unbelievers are certainly responsible for their unbelief. It, it isn't, uh, isn't somebody else's fault. They are responsible. But Scripture says that even in light of man's responsibility, it is the God of this world, another name for the devil, who has blinded their minds. Now, they are willfully blinded they have received this it's not like they're fighting this they don't even have the capacity to fight it but satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving through false religion through erroneous ideologies through errors of thinking and so they're blind and when the gospel is presented they don't even see it satan is the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that's why jesus referred to the devil as a liar he said he said in John chapter 8, there is no truth in him. Imagine that. There is no truth in him. Intrinsic to his nature, part of his very being is, is a lack of truth. There is no truth in him. What an amazing statement. Whenever Jesus said he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. What is revealed is that he by nature is a liar. Jesus said, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's where lying began, goes back to Satan. So lying is an intrinsic part of Satan's nature, and it is a major device in Satan's arsenal. But lying is not his only tactic. Sometimes God gives Satan, under the divine decrees of the Lord, power to afflict people physically. Now you want to be careful when we say that. God is the one who gives him permission to do that, but God has given Satan the power to do that and that's not to say that every time we're sick it goes back to Satan but there's enough evidence in scripture that would indicate to us that Satan has a lot of power and authority in that area and we know this for example as God permitted Satan to take away first Job's possessions Job chapter 1 but then then Satan came to the Lord and said well sure Job follows you sure he's a worshiper of, of yours sure he's a man of integrity look Skin for skin, let me touch his skin. Let me take away his health and he will curse you. And so the rest of the the book of Job is about that. God proving to Satan and to all of us that true faith endures. That's the point of the book of Job. When someone truly believes, they do not abandon the Lord. They may have ups and downs, but true faith perseveres because true faith is born of God. But in that book, you see that Satan did have permission to take away Job's health and he, he became a, a pitiful man, afflicted with boils and, and horrible things in his life. And his wife was no help to him. She just said, curse God and die. She, she did not do good to him, but she did evil to him. But God allowed Satan to touch Job and take away his health. Job isn't the only incident in Scripture where Satan was given that kind of power. We read, for example, in the Gospel of Luke... There's an occasion in which Jesus healed a woman who we're told for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, meaning a demon. A demon caused this. and She was bent double and could not straighten up at all. That's Luke 13, verse 11. Much a- demon activity attributed to people being, being ill. We also read about Paul in the New Testament who said that his, that his thorn in the flesh, he defined as a messenger of Satan. It must have been some type of physical affliction. Now, as I said before, this does not mean that every health issue you have is attributed to the devil, but it does reveal that God has given him an awful lot of power in all kinds of, of areas of our lives. Thinking, he has access there, health. But there, there are other other issues, other areas that Satan has been given power and for example the bible says he has the power to interfere with your ministry do you realize that 1 Thessalonians 2:18 Paul said for we wanted to come to you for we we wanted to come back meaning he left Thessalonica very very quickly and Paul said i wanted to return he said i Paul more than once meaning i wanted to get back to you i wanted to follow up i wanted to nurture you and yet he said satan hindered us in, in some way that has not been revealed to us, Satan hindered Paul from returning to Thessalonica. Now, certainly that was all in God's plan. Satan can't do anything out of God uh, apart from God's decrees. But he did hinder Paul from returning, probably through some kind of government edict or some kind of promise that was made with believers that will, will not have him back. Something probably of that nature. But the devil had power there. Another popular strategy of the devil where you see his power is that he can disrupt our relationships with people through anger and conflicts that never get resolved. It's a very popular tactic of the devil. In fact, you can look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the apostle Paul says, Says, be angry and yet do not sin. There is an anger that's not sinful. Most of us haven't experienced it very often, but it is righteous indignation. It is it is a righteous anger when when the Lord's standards are violated, when His name is taken in vain. Most of us struggle with sinful anger when uh, when our agendas have been attacked or something has happened to us that we didn't we didn't like. But notice this, Paul is saying, be angry and yet do not sin. But then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger because even righteous anger when left to fester turns into bitterness. Even if it starts out as being righteous, if you let it go and don't put a lid on it, if you go to sleep with this, you will wake up. And I'm speaking metaphorically here, but that's the the point that if you let it go, it will turn into resentment and bitterness. Now, if righteous anger has the power to do that, then how much more shall sinful anger be easily turned into bitterness? And if you do that, notice verse 27, and this is the point. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Satan will use that unresolved conflict, that anger, as an opportunity to divide you from a relationship with somebody, and he is a master at that. And and much of counseling issues that we we do here at Lakeside deal with this very subject of anger in marriages, in relationships, in all kinds of situations, anger that people have. Satan also has been given the power to tempt us, especially in the area of immorality and in the area of self-control when it comes to morals. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll see this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, now concerning the things about which he wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a a woman. The Corinthians apparently wrote Paul a letter, asked him all kinds of questions about marriage, singleness, sexual relations. And Paul is saying here that it's fine for a man not to get married. He'll go on to say, provided that he has the gifts of celibacy, but it's fine if he wants to remain single but then he says in verse 2, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, each woman is to have her own husband. There is, there is nothing spiritual about uh, remaining single but having a lust problem. And that's what Paul is saying. To avoid immorality, that's not the only reason you get married, but that's one reason. He said, go, go get married. And then he speaks that uh, speaks to husbands and wives that uh, those who are in a marriage relationship have responsibilities to their partner to meet their sexual needs, and desires. He says in verse 3, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That means you don't have the option to refuse one another. When you get married, you give up that, that right And then he says in verse five, and here's the point that we wanna see about about the devil. He says, stop depriving one another. The only reason Paul would say that is because that's what was going on there. And he says, stop doing it. But he gives an exception. He says, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. There may be a time in your life When you're overwhelmed with with something, it could be a physical problem, it could be an emotional problem, it could be a financial problem, but a husband and wife agree, not one person in the marriage, but both agree, we will abstain for a time being. But then notice that Paul adds this, and come together again, this is not to be permanent, why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan tempts people in this area of morality. And if a husband and wife never have relations, or they don't have a healthy marriage in that area, especially, they're going to be tempted. And and what Paul is doing is attributing to Satan to move in there and tempt us in that very area. So what these scriptures reveal is that God has given, the sovereign God has given the devil a great deal of power. He has the power to influence our thinking. He has the power to affect our health, to hinder our ministries, to disrupt our relationships, even to harm our marriages. So question is, how do you deal with an enemy like this? How do you deal with someone who is so powerful, so mighty, so so supernatural, so wicked, so unlike anything else we have ever faced Well, that's what we began to explore last week because Paul does address this, Ephesians chapter six. So let's turn there. Ephesians chapter six is one of many places in the Bible that address the issue of Satan. But I believe it is the most comprehensive, the most helpful passage in all of the Bible because it tells us about how to be protected from this this horrible enemy. And I wanna read to you verses 10 through 18. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not, and notice this, it is not against flesh and blood. You think you've got problems with people, but you really don't. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning humans, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition, for all the saints, what Paul does in this passage, which we introduced last week, is he he uses the analogy of a roman soldier 's armor as he went to war. How was he protected? Paul takes six pieces of the armor of a Roman soldier and, and he adds to it prayer prayer is is not part of a roman soldier 's uh, um, weapons, it was not part of his protection, but it is for us. So the six pieces plus prayer, and Paul reveals that God has provided for us protection, just as a Roman soldier had protection. God has provided six pieces of armor and prayer for us, for defensive protection, not offensive aggression. These are, these are not weapons that we go get the devil The only weapon that has any offensive power is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And even that ought to be used in a somewhat defensive way. So we're not going after the devil. The point of these verses is to say, God has provided protection for you. Put it on, be dressed for battle, and then stand firm. Don't run, because there's no protection for the back. Don't run, stand your ground. Stand your ground, don't retreat when the onslaughts come. And the way we do this is to make sure we are covered with the full, complete armor of God. Now, we're going to begin next week dealing with each piece of armor, but I I know that unless someone is motivated to put on that armor, you won't do it. Thought about that this week, that we'll go through weeks of studying this, and unless you realize how you, you need it, how much you need it, this will only be information for your brain. You will not translate it into obedience. See, putting on the armor of God takes discipline. It takes tangible effort and obedience to God's word. These six pieces of armor are nothing more than sound biblical thinking and practical righteous behavior that protect us from the devil and that means that you and I need to discipline our minds and our behavior so that we are prepared for the battle that's going to take effort that's going to take change that's going to take developing habits of thinking and I know realistically some people are going to say no not gonna do it. So I want you to know, and this is really the point of verses 10 through 13, I want you to know as the apostle Paul explains us, that you need to be motivated to do something. If you believe it's important, you'll do it like anything else in life. If you see a need, you'll do it. And so what Paul does is in verses 10 through 13, he points out to us how needy we are. How needy we are to take on this protection because the enemy is so powerful. That's the point. And last week we began to see this, how much we need the Lord's protection, by looking at two key truths about how to stand firm when you're under attack. We looked at one last week, and we'll, we'll just quickly review that, highlight some truths, and then look at, at two. But last week we saw that the first key truth that we need to know in order to stand firm while under attack is that we must depend upon the Lord's power and his provision. You know why? Because we are desperately weak. Desperately weak. Verses ten and eleven say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There are three main truths that that emerge from these two verses. Truth number one is that in and of ourselves we are too weak to stand against this enemy. We will fall. We will fall to Satan's attacks if we we charge in with our own strength. Our strength has to come from the Lord or else we're doomed to be defeated. And that's where many people are. They they don't recognize how weak they are. And they certainly don't recognize how strong Satan is. That's why Paul starts off by telling us to be strong in the Lord. Because we don't have the strength in and of ourselves. As Luther said in that great hymn that we sang, and the choir did a magnificent job, a mighty fortress is our God. He said, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. By the way, if you go through that hymn, that that is a hymn filled with the theology of Ephesians chapter 6. That really is marvelous. In other words, the point is this. Let the strength of the Lord empower you as you do battle with the enemy of your soul. But how do we do that? It's just words unless we know exactly what Paul means. How do you do that? Otherwise, it's just sort of mystical out there. What does Paul mean? How do I strengthen myself in the Lord's strength? That's truth number two. Put on the full armor of God. That's the strength he's provided for you. That's the power he's provided for you. Right thinking and godly behavior. That's what verse 11 is saying. That's why it follows verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Here's how you do it. Put on the full armor of God. Of God, that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. How else would you do it? The emphasis in verse 11 when it comes to armor is not that it's just some armor provided, but it's the full armor. Folks, we've been given everything we need, the complete, full, whole armor of God so that no area of our lives would ever be left unprotected. Because sure enough, if there's an area that that you have not protected, that's where Satan will attack And if there's an area that you're strong in in your life and you don't think you need his protection, sure enough, that's where you'll be attacked. He attacks weak areas. He attacks strong areas where we leave our guard open for him. Leads us to the third main truth that these verses reveal. And that is this. Satan has a specific strategy mapped out personally for you. That's that's clear from the closing words of verse 11. The schemes of the devil. As I told you last week, this word schemes means his method of attack. But but more than simply a, a method, it means craftiness, scheming, deceptive methods of attack. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he will attack. Tailor made for each of us. And so we should come away from verses 10 and 11 seeing ourselves as just absolutely weak. Needy of God's strength against an enemy that is gunning for us. I hope that's how you feel. I hope that you'll come away today... From our time together, seeing how weak you are, how desperate you are for the Lord's protection. You don't want to be like like Peter. I think Peter is a prime example and illustration of a man who, who at first didn't get this. Remember, remember the night of, of our Lord's arrest? He said to his disciples, All of you tonight will flee. The shepherd will be taken and, and you'll you'll flee. And Peter, boastful, arrogant Peter, right after Jesus had said, Satan has has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I'm not gonna let him do that. But right after that, Peter said, Lord, not me. You know what he meant by that? These other men who are less spiritual than I am, they'll do that, but not me. I will follow you to death. And Jesus said, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. See, Peter, Peter was arrogant. Peter was proud. Peter never saw his, his need for protection. He thought he was strong enough to handle anything in life. He was a big fisherman. Probably not many people pushed Peter around. And he thought, they're not pushing me around. I don't care who comes out for you. I'm with you. If you have that attitude, you will be defeated.
1: As Pastor Steve said, Satan wants to knock us down so hard that we never get up. If we want to be useful to the Lord and have a good relationship with him, We need to wear the armor he has provided. We will learn more about that armor as we proceed with this study of spiritual warfare over the coming days. Thank you for listening. This is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's 26-plus years of teaching at Lakeside have led to the development of these daily Bible classes of the year produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's program again or catch up on previous ones, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the first part of a two-part message. The entire message is available on CD or cassette. To order yours, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. What is your greatest fear? Even if you don't know what it is, Satan does. And fear is one of his favorite and most effective tools. Come back next time to see why we believers need never fear the devil. ¶¶ You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by.
0: We are here to give you strength between.